All right, well, you guys can grab a seat. So good to be with you this morning. Um, I didn't think it was possible for folks to sit further away from me than they normally do at East Campus. Clearly, I was wrong. You guys are really far out there. There is so much that is unusual about what we're doing this morning. However, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we get to do it together. And so would you join with me just as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have this morning to be together and to consider um, how wonderful and awesome you are, Lord. God, I thank you for your word, that you've given us your word, and that as you have called us as your people, and you've um, given us life, a life to live, Lord, that you have not left us wandering this land without any direction, Lord, but you have clearly spoken through your word to your people. And I pray right now, Lord, just as I um, proclaim it, that you would use it to shape us and to form us as a people. Lord, that you would take these words, which we believe to be eternal and true, Lord, and we ask that you would write them on our very hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. If you were to die tonight, what would happen? Where would you end up? Do you know for sure what is your eternal destiny? Perhaps you've heard this question asked. Maybe it's been posed to you before. Maybe you've asked it of others to provide an opportunity to share the gospel. It's a common question that we often use to open conversations and to think about the gospel. Well, this morning I want to ask you a different question. And for some of us, it is perhaps maybe even more relevant. If you were to live through the night, wake up tomorrow morning and see another day, how would you live it? How would you live that day? Probably the question, this is probably the question that we should be asking ourselves every day of our life. And the gospel of Jesus Christ resources us to answer that, that question with clarity and with hope. You see, the truth is, tomorrow does not have to be like today. And your today doesn't have to be like yesterday. Folks, we are continuing as a church our study of uh, the concept of the reality of sanctification, living our lives, what it looks like to live our lives devoted to God. And what we discover here in Romans 6 has the ability to radically transform our tomorrows. It has the ability to radically transform our today. It can transform our very lives. Tomorrow can look different. There is power. There is a power that is available to us that many of us, unfortunately, live our days completely ignorant of. Let's face it. Some of you would admit that you feel perhaps stalled out in your spiritual life. Maybe you are experiencing or you have experienced in the past a season of just being stuck. You're not growing in your love for God like maybe you had hoped or thought you would. You wrestle right now with the same sins that you wrestle with, that you wrestled with in the past. The same temptations are the same today as they were yesterday. You get angry at the same things. You harbor the same hate and, and even lust after some of the same stuff. Romans 6 tells us that 
change, that growth is possible. So as we explore it together this morning, we explore it together with hope, with good news, with good news. For us, this change as Christians, if you are here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this change should be expected in your life. It should be anticipated. Big idea we see here in Romans 6, brothers and sisters, is that the gospel, yes, it liberates us from the penalty of sin, but it also liberates us from the power of sin. I'll say it again. The gospel liberates us from not just the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. Romans is a fantastic book. I feel such a massive chunk of scripture we're looking at this morning for such a, a helpful, useful book. It, it, it feels bad just preaching one small section. It's, it's such a glorious book. In chapters one through five, we are explained. Paul tells us what God has accomplished for us in the gospel. In Romans one through three, we see that outside of Christ, we were essentially given over to our sinful desires. Sin ruled over us. Its reign was so strong that we were unable to see it, even worse yet, or unable to resist it. In ourselves, we were unable to find the strength to overcome the grips of sin. We were condemned, the Bible says, in our sin. From Romans 3 to the end of Romans 5, we see that, that because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we have now been justified. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners in our condemnation, in our sin, Christ dies for us. Romans 5, 21 tells us that though we were once condemned in our sin, the act of righteousness, this act of righteousness leads to our justification and life. So we are condemned in our sin, but then because of God and his grace and his mercy that he lavished upon us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are now justified. We are given new life. Folks, our salvation is all of grace. Charles Spurgeon likened it to grace to the, a golden thread that is woven through every Christian story. Your history and my history is this golden thread of grace. Salvation is all of grace. But here in chapter 6, Paul starts sort of a new section in the book of Romans. And it's this section on sanctification. He has established for us very clearly what God has done for us. But here in chapter 6, Paul turns his attention and begins to, to, to paint for us a picture of all that he has done in us. So as we consider sanctification, this idea of being set apart, of being, of being devoted to God, living a life that is his, he looks at you and he, he claims you as his own. He, he possesses you and he, he sets you aside. And now we're given the task of living a life that comes day by day looking more and more like him, that reflects the grace and the mercy that he's lavished upon us. There's a problem that each of us faces as we do this. As we try to grow in our life to look more and more like the gracious and loving Father that we have, the problem that each and you of I still run up against is that of sin. Is that of sin. Well, there's good news here this morning in Romans 6. The first thing that we learn that helps us overcome this problem or helps us wade through this problem is to understand that if you are in Christ, you are dead to your sin. You are dead to your sin your sin. 
Paul introduces this idea with a question. He says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to continue? We are recipients of grace and, and thank God for his grace, his abounding grace. And now shall we continue to sin so that we continue to receive more and more grace? This would have been a natural question of the day as you follow Paul's logic through the book of Romans. How are we to respond to this abundance of grace? Just keep on sinning so that God would just keep piling on grace after grace after grace? Is that how we should respond to our sin and to God's grace? I like grace. Shoot. I like sin. Giddy up, right? I want to have my cake and eat it too. That's essentially the question that he's raising here in Romans 6. And it sounds silly, doesn't it, when you hear it? When you hear the question asked, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? It sounds like just a peculiar, odd question. Who asks that question? Well, though it may seem like an odd question when it is articulated, it's pretty familiar when it's lived out. Because the truth is, many of us Many of us live like we're asking this question all the time, like we're assuming the same posture. Many of us minimize sin in our lives and see it just as another opportunity for God to do his thing, for God to pour on his grace. We're not really troubled by our sin or the sin in our life. We see it as an opportunity for more of God's wonderful grace. Is that how we should respond to sin? Paul's response is emphatic. By no means. Absolutely not. God forbid. This notion that God's grace gives us a license now to sin is completely absurd, he says. Why is it absurd? Because it is a complete contradiction, Paul submits, to who we are to who we actually are, is contradicting our very nature, our identity. It stands in contrast to that. Critical to living a life devoted to God is understanding our relationship to sin. And folks, you can write it down now, circle it in your Bible. If you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. What does this mean? What does it mean to be dead to sin. Some of you are sitting there right now and you don't feel dead to sin. You think of yesterday, you think of last week, and you see sin effects in your life and you don't feel dead to sin. What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean just a gradually moving further and further away of sin. As if, as if sin, there was certain sort of different degrees of deadness we could experience. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that, that sin no longer, that we no longer have the desire to sin. If we get into Romans chapter 7, which we won't do this morning, you can clearly see that Paul articulates, even in himself, a strong desire towards sin. It sounds good to be dead to sin, but how do we make sense of it in light of the battles that we face day in and day out? If you look with your Bibles down to verse 5, we'll try to bring some light to it says this in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
Last week, Pastor Dave talked a lot about the, the, this idea of union with Christ. And if, and if it's a, a different sort of term or a different concept to you, I, I pray that it no longer stays foreign or different. It is absolutely critical to, for us to understand what it means to live the life that God has called us to, to help us understand this idea of union with Christ. It's absolutely critical that we have been united with him. What happened to Christ, God counts as happening to us. Paul never describes, it's interesting if you read his letters, he never describes us believers in Jesus as Christians, but rather his favorite term over and over and over again in the epistles is the term in Christ. It's the greatest definition, the greatest explanation of who we are and what has happened to us if we are followers of Jesus, if we have received his grace and his mercy. God has placed us in Christ because of this union between us and Christ, Christ's death now becomes our death. And the moment you are united with Christ, you are no longer under the reign, the ruling power of sin itself. You are freed from it. We have a new master, and its name is not sin. It tells us in verse 3, how does this happen? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Putting sin to death was something Christ did for us when he died on the cross. And when we were baptized into him, the idea here is a spiritual baptism, not a physical one. But when we are baptized, when we are placed in him, we were joined to his killing of our sin. So now we can have hope. That as sin stares us down day after day after day, the truth is it opposes our identity because we are dead to it. We can still fall, fall guilty of it. We can still commit it, absolutely. But it has no power to reign over us. We're under a, a new reigning authority. So to first help us understand how does tomorrow look any different, you have to start by understanding because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and what God has done in you, you are now dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Second thing that's important to understand as we consider this concept of union with Christ is not just are you dead to sin, but you are also made alive to God. We see it several places in our passage this morning. Verse 5, second half of verse 5, we saw it there. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See it also in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Also see it in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ makes us dead to sin, but it also makes us alive to God alive to God you know my family and I just moved recently and the house that we purchased has a number of fruit trees in its yard number of fruit trees in its yard and right after we took possession the owner was gracious and kind enough to spend a little bit of time with me and my wife walking around the land kind of specifically I mean we don't know much about plants we just know we like fruit you know what I'm saying who didn't like fruit right so we're excited about having some fruit trees okay you feel me 
excited about having some fruit trees. So <clears throat> we, we asked him, would you do us this, the kind service of, of please pointing out what these different trees are? And so we walked around the, the yard, and he pointed out just kind of one tree after another. And as he pointed out, got to, there's a number of apple trees in the yard. And one of the things he pointed out was that there was in this, with this one apple tree, he had grafted in several different kinds of varieties of apples. So you have one tree with different varieties because he had grafted from one tree into the next. It's a helpful illustration for what it means to be united with our, what our union with Christ looks like. This is kind of like a horticultural illustration, what, what, what Paul is doing here, this concept of being united with Christ. It's, it's like grafting one tree into another, the branch of one tree into the root system of another. It's a technique that is used to propagate most fruit trees. Grafting a plant whose roots are prone to a soil disease onto a trunk or a rootstock that is resistant to that disease would allow that plant to successfully grow where otherwise would have problems. The benefits of the root system, of the, the root tree, flow freely, when done right, into this new grafted branch. All the nutrients and the, and the, the good stuff from the soil make its way from the root system into this newly grafted tree folks apart from christ our root system is diseased apart from the gospel of jesus christ the atoning work that jesus did when he accomplished our salvation on the cross apart from that our root system is diseased in fact, we are dead in our sins. So our dead branches were inserted into his living root. We were grafted into Christ, united with him. When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. As one theologian puts it, all of our spiritual life flows out of this union with Christ, not just imitation of Christ. I'll say it one more time. All of our spiritual life flows out of union with Christ, not just our imitation of Christ. See, I think oftentimes, I don't know if you're like me, when I think about what it means to be follower of Jesus, my mind instantly goes to imitating him, as it should. Don't get me wrong. As we wonder what it looks like to live this life, to interact with neighbors, to, to love those around us, to love those who are different from us. As we consider what it looks like to just navigate life as it comes to us day after day, we must imitate Jesus. We must reflect his gentleness and his kindness. We must be men and women of grace and truth. But... What's great about this is that it's not then dependent on us to what happens when we can't do that perfectly, right? Because we have been united with Christ. Our minds need to not just think about being imitators of Jesus, but being in union with Christ, having been united to him. That's the good news is the power that we need to pull off what he's called us to. We have access to it because of this union with him gives us the power and the potential to live the life that God's called us to because we've been grafted in Christ. Christianity is not simply turning over a new leaf. It's about a new life. It's not simply about turning of another page in a book. 
in your life story, just one page to the next. It's about a whole new story with a completely different ending, an entirely different hero. It's a totally new story. Some of us expect so little from our lives. Union to Christ means that everything that is true of Jesus is legally now true of us too. His perfect record becomes our perfect record. His power becomes our power. His peace becomes our peace. His love becomes now our love. The Bible tells us that he has, he has poured out his love. God has poured out his love aboundingly into our heart. An abundance of the love in our heart. Resurrection living, this life with God is not just about its length or eternity. It goes on forever. But it's also about the quality of life that he gives you this very moment. Doesn't that change how you see the potential for your tomorrow? The possibility for your right now? There's no brokenness or no corruption in you that the power of this resurrection cannot remove, heal, and redeem. Why? Because you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Folks, this is the glory. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We are new creatures. How amazing. So what do we do? I want to draw your attention just to verse 11 real quick and if you have your Bibles open there's just one word I'd like for you to just take note of and it's this word consider so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus consider verse 11 this is the first command that we see in the chapter I don't know if you've noticed that having sufficiently laid the groundwork of all that God has done, is doing, and will do for us through this union with Christ, Paul turns his attention to what we are to do now in response. So this considering is your work. It's my work. What are we to do? As we are dead to sin, made alive to Christ, how now shall I respond? Well, folks, consider. Consider. Paul's about to get practical. Some translations, if you, depending on what translation you have, it may say count, may say reckon. Same word is used in, verse, uh, in chapter 4 when Paul describes how God credits righteousness to us when we trust Jesus, who, who paid the penalty for our sins. Reckon. It's an accounting term that means you count one thing as if it were another. Like in like the wild card in Uno. I've played Uno for a while, but I'm pretty sure how that works, right? That wild card can be counted as if it were a different card. When God sees our faith in Jesus as our sin bearer, he reckons our faith as righteousness. He, he reckons us as, he counts us, considers us to be righteous. In Romans 6, there's another one who does the reckoning, and it's us. We are to count ourselves, consider ourselves, reckon ourselves as dead to sin. Why? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to consider ourselves? If you just got done telling me it's already been done, God's already done it, why 
do I need to consider it? Why do I need to count it? Because being dead to sin is a privilege. It's a legal right. While it may be true or in force, it is possible to not utilize its power. Tim Keller gives a helpful illustration. He likens it to a trust fund. If you can imagine a trust fund being put in your name. But unless you draw on it, it won't change your actual financial condition. The trust fund should mean the end of your financial troubles. But it won't. It won't have its effect unless it's used. If it just sits there, it doesn't do you any good until you draw on it. Folks, what God has done for us is amazing. And what it means to live our life, if we want to, as we stare sin down day after day after day, what Paul is asking us to do is to constantly be in a posture where we are constantly considering who we are in Christ. It is, the, it is the phrase that goes over and over and over in our head. You are dead in your sins and you are alive to Christ. When you are tempted, when sin tempts you, that's how you respond over and over and over again. You don't have power over me because I am dead to you and I'm alive in Christ. Over and over again, day after day after day, as sin seduces us, we consider who we are. We consider it day after day after day. Tomorrow, when you are tempted to give way to your anger, Paul's asking you to consider, stop for a moment, and consider who you are. You're not under that control anymore. It doesn't have power over you. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Tomorrow when you're considered to, to lust after something, you ain't got no business lusting after. Paul tells you to stop and to consider who you are. That is the old you that has been crucified. It is dead and now you are alive to Christ. When you are tempted tomorrow at work to hold back things like compassion and kindness and gentleness... Paul says, consider for a minute who you are. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ. And this is not some mental trick. I go down to my basement. I'm terrified of spiders. I'll just put it, I'll just make it real. I'm terrified of spiders. I always have been in my life. When I was a kid, I would go down to my basement. And I'd see a, just one of those old houses with nasty, you know, cobwebs and spider, you know, all over the place. And I would see a spider. And I would just get paralyzed. I get paralyzed. And I just tell myself over and over, you're not afraid of spiders, you're not afraid of spiders, you're not afraid of spiders, right? Not, I just keep telling myself over. I would try to like, like mentally play a trick on myself. That's not what we're engaging in. Paul is not inviting us into mental trickery. He is inviting us to lay hold regularly to the truth, to the truth of who you are based on what he has done. God gives you the power. And when you believe it, when you say it's true, when you believe it, he, he gives you this power. He asks you to consider it. So will you consider it this morning? Will you consider 
what it means for you to be dead to your sins and made alive to Christ. There is no greater thing, I guarantee you, you can take it to the bank. There's no greater thing that we should be considering outside of that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you just as we consider, as we consider who you are and what you have done for us, Father. Lord, we're humbled. Lord, but we're also emboldened. We're empowered to live the life that you've given it to us, Lord. So as we as we think about leaving this place this morning and whatever you have in store for us, whatever awaits us this day or tomorrow or this week, Lord, whatever stands before us, I pray as we walk through that day, we would walk through with a certain kind of swagger because we know without a doubt who we are. Lord, we love you and we thank you for accomplishing that. We ask these things in your name. Amen.